From 23DB Production Studios in the Garden State, New Jersey, this is the Art of Music Tech Podcast. Your guest today, legendary bassist and six-time Grammy Award winner, Christian McBride. And now, here's your host, Fela and Dennis. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And welcome to the Art of Music Tech Podcast with me, Fela. And Dennis, hi everybody. All right, this is a special episode. I'm with my boss, uh, slash I'm your friend first. Friend <laughs> slash, yes, yes. He he put me on the map. Uh, the now six-time Grammy Award winner, Christian McBride. Yo yo yo. Basis extraordinaire. Um, first of all, with this, I want to get into how we met. <laughs> it would be our our, our first story. Um, I, I've kind of mentioned on here about us meeting through LinkedIn, but I, I'd, right. I'd like to get your version on tape. <laughs> yeah. So what's it been about, uh, five, five years, years now? Yeah, yeah. Five years. Um, I had a string of gigs coming up and I think my entire, my entire career as a band leader, I've always had trouble finding a, a sound engineer to work with on a steady, steady basis, front of house engineer. And uh, I realized with this string of gigs coming up, I said, I really want to have my own sound person to come on the road with me. And I, I couldn't think of anybody. Everyone I knew in in the New York, New Jersey area were all busy. They were all tied up. And everybody else was in L.A. Actually, most sound engineers I know are in L.A. I thought, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, New York, I can't find somebody. And uh, I did something I almost never do. I went to LinkedIn. And uh, I said, well, I know this is supposed to be for, for business correspondence. So I punched in. I, I can't remember what I punched in. I punched in, like, sound engineer in New York. And your picture came up. And I went, you know, boom. I hit you up. <laughs> and uh, I met you in Brooklyn. Yep. And as they say, I, I, I just said something like, uh, you know, you, you work with acoustic instruments and you're like, yeah, sure. I was like, cool. Let's rap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it wasn't much talk. It was like, all right, well. Yeah. Uh, and then you. when I met you, I, I just dug your vibe. I was like, OK, yeah, I, I can I can roll with her. All right. <laughs> yes, you do have to have a good vibe. And, and the same with you as well. Um, yeah. It is hard to work with certain artists you know it, it can yeah so um you you've been the best by far and yeah Aww. it's just been uh you you've taken me around the world so um it, it's just been amazing it's, well, there's, it's been there's great more, there's more to come i know i know Lots we're, we're, more to come. exactly we're coming up in april doing a um a three-week stint with the big band that's right i can't wait wow first time uh ever in, in europe with the big band yes exactly this is be a trip yeah, yeah, I can't wait, can't wait. A lot of moving parts with 17 or so people Ooh. rolling around Europe. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever been on the road with a band that big for that long. Yeah. I hope, I hope no fights break out. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now, they're all some cool cats in that whole band. I mean, it, it's... Yeah, Andre yeah. and Cheryl go... Actually, I don't know if Cheryl's going. It, it, it would help, like, since we need somebody, like, 
a taskmaster. Exactly. You know? That is a lot of people to, to, to wrangle instead Somebody of four Somebody keeping five. the bate in, in line. No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We yes. love you, Navate. You yes. know he's just picking on you. We love you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know he has an album coming up, too. He's been touting online, so shout that's out right. to him. That's right. As well. Um, yeah, so yeah, that that's the story, guys. Yeah, just put your stuff out there. You never know who's looking. That's right. Because I sure would have never thought <laughs> Christian McBride would have hit me up out of nowhere. So that that was a uh, powerful free tool. Yes, Social a, a media. powerful free That's tool. Right. Exactly. Yes. Is right. doesn't even cost you anything. You just put your picture up, and people know that you're a real person instead of just That's saying right. I mix and your name. So <laughs> spell everything right. Yeah, and spell right. stuff right. So. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So uh, I guess the next thing we want to get into as well is uh, your writing process um, for your albums. Um, The last one. Yeah, especially for this last Big Band album. Mm -hmm. Um, How how was that different from your last Grammy Award winning Big Band album? My writing process is, uh, it's, it's not very... I, I will admit it's not very disciplined. It's not much of a process other than just uh, the, well. There's a couple of things. One is 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 a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> if I know I have to have a particular uh, chunk of music written by a certain time, I just have to sit on the piano and do it. You know. Uh, and the other one is when I'm sitting at the piano. I'm, I wrote. I write pretty much all of my big band music on uh, on the piano. Uh, I try to just, it's, it's kind of like fishing. I just kind of sit there and I just noodle around until something bites. You know, I get, I get a melody or, or a set of chord changes and I just try to go with that. Uh, ironically enough, it's quicker for me to write for my big band than it is for the trio. Um, if you give me 17 horns, I get excited. I'm like, oh, cool, I can, I can, I can hook this up. But like with the trio... <laughs> I'm sitting there scratching my head like, man, what am I going to do? Because I hear, I hear things in my head and I'm thinking, well, I don't know if that's possible pianistically. You know, um, maybe I need to change up my idea to fit the trio. And no, maybe I should go back to the original. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so <laughs> it's frustrating writing for the trio. But give me the big band. I'm good to go. Yeah. Ideas just start bursting out. All right. I like what I made a note on uh, Youthful Bliss ah. around 412. Yeah. Yeah, but 20 second arrangement, it takes you to a total different environment. Like you're watching a, a cartoon or a movie oh, from right, 60s right. with flutes and pianos. Right, right. How did you come up with the arrangement? Uh, that particular section you're talking about is it's in the middle of the bass solo. Um, <laughs> I don't know what made me think of that. Again, that's one of those crazy things where uh, I just had this idea, and I, you know, I could just see like these little kid, like like little girls dancing, like in a tutu or something like that, you know. So that's sort of the youthful bliss, you know, mm-hmm. as the song uh, uh, connotates, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, I had the you know the trombone, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. yeah, it is sort of sort of silly and cartoonish, but I thought it would be a nice little. Uh, 
a nice little section in the middle of all that all that jazz stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a soundtrack to a movie. Yeah, yeah. It was a sudden change. Like, well, oh, that, all right. Well, that, <laughs> that that has been one of my uh has been one of my fantasies to write a uh write a movie score. Uh-huh. You know I mean, cuz a lot of my I think a lot of my big band writing has been influenced by uh all of those great 50 and 60s and even 70s yeah you know composers for film and television definitely. I, I, I hear some guys. Quincy definitely well you know Q, Q, was, Q was always the king uh, you know yeah. Oliver Nelson Elmer Bernstein um uh John Williams mm, Lalo yeah. Schifrin who is um who composed Mission Impossible Oof. uh he's one of my heroes and somebody I've worked with for a long time so when I first started learning how to write for big band I was always picking his brain. I was like, Lalo, what do you do with flutes? You know, well, how, how does the the oboe? Where does it? Where does that go? And you know, how does it all relate? So you know, and and Lalo is also a pipe smoker. All right, nice. <laughs> many hours yeah, of talking and, over and there. So, yeah, uh, going on the road with Lalo, you know, I would just you know he'd light up his pipe and you know his leg. Very very elegant and sophisticated man. You know. Very thick Argentinian accent, you know. So you have his legs crossed with his pipe. Uh, Christian, it's it's about what you hear and what you feel. Do not worry about the technicalities of it all. You know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to be Lalo Schiffer when I grow up. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, yes, um, and and also, um, what bass did you use on that on the recording on the Big Bang? Uh. That's a good question. Um, yeah, on the Big Bang record, I you we know we actually made that we made uh, bringing it like four years ago. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> the plan was the reason why it took so long to come out was because the original plan was to release the movement revisited first, and wow. then put out bringing it this year. Uh, but you know that's a whole another animal. The uh, <laughs> we couldn't get the rights, the clearance rights for the movement revisit. So uh, we thought, you know, we don't want to go like three. I think I can't remember what my last record was before. Uh, oh, Live at the Village Vanguard. Yeah. So we didn't want to go uh, two years without releasing another record. So uh, we just put out bringing it first and uh, or three years in a row. Wait, wait a minute, what year? Yeah, Bring It came out last year. Yeah, so yeah, three years between. Wait a minute, when did the village, Live at the Village Vanguard come? I'm sorry, two 15? years. Yeah. Yeah, 15? Live at the Village Vanguard yeah, came out in 15. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and finally, the movement revisit is going to come out next year, February of 18. Oh, And fantastic. so we finally got, it took four years <laughs> to, to get the clearances for, for that. 19th, February 19th? Yeah. Next year. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. And um there is a great live performance of that though. Um yeah. is was it NPR um I forget. We, well actually there's a couple of uh live rec- of the movement music. Yeah, I know we I did one with you in Philly, in Philly with the right. with the choir That's and right. yeah, that was a yeah, that we was did a one great in gig. Philly, we did one in in Maryland. Oh, That's uh-huh. the one where uh, Harry Belafonte joined us. Oh. Um I don't think we were, were we working together yet when that happened. No, no, I wasn't working with you then. 
It, that was like a month or two before, before we met. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was funny. Harry Belafonte was at the first performance, though, that I did with you at 92nd Street. Why? <laughs> so I was, was like, Whoa, wow. That's right. And, <laughs> and which, I, which I have on video. Yes. I have a DVD of that. Exactly. Me too. Yeah. yeah. That was a, <laughs> a great night. And I remember like like the audience, I remember they were unusually like... Uh, kind of cool into it yeah for new york yeah they can be a little close to I the vest like, come on y'all <laughs> christian mcbride big man <laughs> i said damn yeah all right right on yeah close to the vest new york city <laughs> <laughs> That's right. yeah yeah in certain towns like that in la can be a little yeah yeah exactly very exactly. okay yeah on their own terms of, yeah you, you don't impress us. We've yeah. seen the best. Exactly. They live here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah. I'm sorry. You were asking me about the bass that uh -huh. I used on the big band recording. Um, I used uh, my German bass, uh, which, is, which has been in the shop for a year now. Um, that's pretty much the bass I've used on almost all of my recordings. Uh -huh. uh, it's a no-name uh German well, meaning we we can't trace the manufacturer or oh. or the uh, or the maker, uh, but is we've estimated that it was built around 1910 that instrument, um, so it's, it's over 100 years old, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, that's that's my girl Minnie is her name. <laughs> Minnie, <laughs> oh, she always sounds great. Um, all right, and and now I guess with our techie experience we want to know what you think is what's your favorite sonic sonically yeah. sonic sounding album um yeah. in jazz funk hip-hop just you, some of your top ones yeah that's that's hard because uh you know i first got into i think the the the, the first music that i heard that really captured me Capture my imagination or capture my heart was a lot of classic R&B. Uh, so like Motown records, James Brown records, Philly International records, Gamblin' Huff records. Even as a kid, I can remember thinking the Philly International records sound better. Like the recording quality was better. You could, you could hear all the nuances of the orchestra. Yeah. Uh, like all the instruments were present. And, and, and that band was thick. They had... A full orchestra with vibes and percussion and two guitars and bass and organ and roads and drums and percussion. And, like, you could hear everything. Yeah. You know, like, nothing was, you know, louder. It, it wasn't too, that was perfectly balanced and perfectly mixed. So uh, hats off to uh, Joe Tarsia uh, for recording all those great Gamble and Huff records. Um, the Motown records... Um, I mean, I know what it means now, but I didn't realize as a kid, like, you know, the difference between mono and stereo. Yeah. <laughs> um, even when some of the, when Motown started releasing stereo recordings, um, every once in a blue moon, you get a recording where, like, there would still be a little distortion on the bass drum or something like that. Yeah. Um, by the late 60s, like, when, when, uh, I mean, I, I guess the the recording equipment, like just the whole recording industry in general had gotten a little more advanced by the late 60s, but then their records started really sounding good. Um, 
particularly like when Motown like went psychedelic. You know, <laughs> that that they had moved to L.A. By that well, they time. moved to L.A. in seventy two. Seventy two. Okay. So like between sixty eight and seventy two, um, like the early Motown records up until sixty eight. It was like 50-50. Like some of them sounded really good. Some of them were like, eh. Yeah. Um, but I would say by 68, they started sounding good on the regular. And then when they went to LA, well, you know, it was <laughs> that was the standard. And James, James Brown, um, now it's interesting, like knowing all the research, because you know I'm a James Brown historian. Oh yeah. I had actually heard that there were many times, and this makes sense, that James Brown would actually release rough mixes. Cause I hear like some of the original recordings, like the the actual old forty fives. I mean, other than the energy of the music, like the the actual sound quality is actually pretty poor on, on some of those James <laughs> Brown records. I'm like, dang, like the drums are way in the back, you know, like um, the horns are way in the back, or like like the balance would just be way off, you know. Um, and so I would talk to Fred Wesley or Alan Leeds or whoever was there. And they said, well, you know, James wasn't big on wasting time trying to mix records. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on with his you life. Know, he said they hear a playback and James would just be like into the energy of what he just recorded. He'd be like, all right, put it out. They said, well, we got to mix this. And no, you don't put <laughs> it out cool. like that. <laughs> so thank God, like in the late 80s, when they started remixing and remastering all those old tracks, uh-huh. whew, now we can hear what like it could have sounded, sounded like, like, you know. <laughs> so now those records sound really good, but there, there's a few James Brown recordings, and I know he moved around a lot. He made records in the King Studios in Cincinnati; those sound pretty good. But then he moved around. He made yeah. records in in Augusta and Nashville and. Uh, Florida. Yeah, and he would Criteria record on Studios. the road. Yeah, and just, exactly. Yeah, after a show. After a show. That's right. <laughs> like, hey, go find a go find a local studio. <laughs> you know? Let's go after the show. Yes, yeah, after yeah. the show, you did a two what, what, like two hour and a half set, so maybe three, and exactly. then still yeah. get a whole band to go <laughs> and do an after after hours recording. Well, too. I again to bring up this Nashville trip. James Brown recorded Sex Machine in Nashville. Oh. And so at like the four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I said, "Man, that's wow. that's hardcore." That's and hardcore. After yeah. a gig, they would they would they would they would drive him from a gig, and um, uh, well, Bootsy tells this story great. So you know, he and Bobby Bird were up in the front of the bus. It's like one of the few times that James actually rode the bus with the rest of the band. Say so he and Bobby Bird were up in the front, like get up. You know, they could tell they were working on something. Yeah, right, and then you go, you again. All right, I got it. Hey, bus driver, uh, we're gonna stop in Nashville. What? <laughs> That's the closest town. That's Nashville. the closest Let's town. Go, That's right. That's right. That's right. Find a studio, we're gonna cut. Wow. And then the band, like, they had to wake up. They were like, we're we doing what? <laughs> Wow, something so jamming. And then, come after, out. and then they finish <laughs> exactly. and they get back on the bus <laughs> and continue the trip. <laughs> That's hardcore, boy. That's hardcore, yeah. No, no artist is on that level I'm anymore. You, no, nobody. So nobody grows like that. But I remember you saying you wrote sci fi 4 a.m. in the morning, 5 a.m. in the morning. That's, 
the section where like like the middle section of sci-fi, you know, with the flutes and the bass clarinet. Yes, I did write that at at four or five o'clock in the morning. I like writing during that time because like there's nothing happening. Quiet. You know, phone isn't ringing, no emails coming through, no texts are coming through. Everybody's asleep. Sleep. Just, yeah. just you got nothing but space to create. You know. Um, but some of my favorite jazz records, I find, you know, Rudy Van Gelder is like the the god of all jazz recordings. Uh, so, like, like 90% of all popular jazz recordings between, say, 1954 and 1974, the bulk of those recordings were made at Rudy Van Gelder's. All the Blue Note records, uh-huh. all the Impulse records. Most of the CTI records, Prestige records. I mean, like he was like the official jazz engineer. Now, I what I don't understand is how one person could record. He could be like the house engineer for four different labels. Lab- yeah, <laughs> and they actually have slight differences. Uh huh. You know, um, Blue Note has a sound. Impulse has a sound. Um, Obviously, CTI had a sound. Prestige had a sound. Um, But I said all that to say most of my favorite jazz recordings from that period don't, none of them come from Rudy Van Gelder's studio. Most of them come from Columbia Records. Um, All the Miles Davis recordings, uh, all the Thelonious Monk recordings on Columbia, all of the Dave Brubeck recordings. Uh, Tony Bennett, um, like Columbia really had their stuff together in the 60s, 50s and 60s. Charles Mingus recordings. Um, I was going to ask about Blues and Roots. Yeah, yeah. well, that was Atlantic. They had Atlantic? some sound recording yeah. tunes too. But um, yeah, almost all of my favorite jazz recordings from that, that period um, were Columbia Columbia recordings. I think they 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 had a guy named Stan, Stanley. Oh man, Stanley Tonkle. I think his name was uh, one of the main engineers of Columbia. Uh, he did Bob Dylan and 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 uh, Miles Davis. Um, I will dap Rudy Van Gelder on all his CTI records because I I love the, all the CTI records, all them Freddie Hubbard and George Benson and George Stanley Tarantino recordings. Those sound good. Um, but sonically speaking, I love the clarity of, of all those Columbia records. You know, Ron Carter's bass on those Miles Davis records is just like, it's right there, you know, and, and it's clear, you know, um, in terms of, uh, of hip hop, you know what, what happened with, with like, admittedly, I kind of fell off the hip hop radar like around like 92 91 92 like right when gangster rap started getting big uh-huh that's when i was like okay i i i gotta get off <laughs> you know um so like my last days of following hip-hop on the regular would have been like public enemy arrested development queen latifah Moni love all that uh-huh. kind of stuff um uh, now once i started to slowly kind of get back in it um, I started my, my girlfriend I started seeing this girl in 1995 
and she worked for Def Jam. And so I had no choice but to kind of start getting back into hip hop. So I remember around 97, 98, she was like, uh, hey, we just signed this dude named DMX. He's going to be big, you know. I was like, all right, let me check it out. So uh, I, I like DMX, you know, because I, I like them throaty, raspy, you know, dudes that, that sound like James Brown, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> bringing that energy. Yeah. yeah, but I was noticing, like, the sound, um, I mean, I guess rap, I mean, even in, like, in the 80s, it was, it was most of it was programmed. You yeah, know? and sampled. Sampling was getting big <laughs> at that time, you know, Um but now, by the late 90s, it was a whole completely different ball game. I noticed, like, almost every single time I would listen to a hip-hop, or, or R&B for that matter, hip-hop or R&B track on my headphones, like, I no longer could get a, it, it was just a pure frequency on the bass drum. So, yeah. And I was just like, wow, is this supposed to be this distorted? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dang. So I was like turning like the boost, bass boost off. You know, I was like having like real treble heavy on like my first iPod. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was putting treble boost on that joint, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, I still haven't been enough on the hip hop scene to know what I like in terms of so- sonically what's, what's good. Yeah. Um, I just been trying to pay more attention to like the art form, like what what cats are actually rapping. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. So you know that's why I've been in the in the Kendrick, you know, like everybody. Yeah. Um, I I love Common. I know that's going back a ways, but uh, I don't know. He's he's very much up front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Common was uh, you know, the first time I met him was right before like Water for Chocolate dropped, and um. He came to Birdland. He came to see my band. And I couldn't believe it. I said, man, it's coming. And uh, he said, he said, brother, you probably don't remember this, but we met a long time ago. I said, really? He said, man, I used to come see you in Chicago all the time when you played a jazz showcase. I said, what? <laughs> he said, man, I've been a big fan of yours for years, man. And so uh, that, that was a huge thrill. So, wow. yeah, I love Common. Uh, I wish some more. I, I, I want some more female rappers to come on the scene, balance this stuff out. And, I, and I'm, I'm not talking about like Lil Kim and 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 Cardi Curry. Cardi B. I'm I'm talking about some like like back like I was saying Queen Latifah, yeah. you know MC Light, yeah. Moni Love. I, I want to see some more of that, some yeah. more positive rap. Exactly. I hear you on that. <laughs> All right. Well. That's a good place to end it. Thank you so much, Brother Christian McBride. My pleasure. For coming on the Art of Music Tech podcast. Uh, thank you again, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you learn stuff like I always do when I'm with this brother. Well, uh, always. <laughs> always. Me too. Uh, yeah, so that concludes this episode. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Christian. My honor. All right. Uh, Again, listen, share, uh, tell more people about this. Let's do more and talk to you later. Let's go. Let's go. For more information of booking 23DB Productions, visit their website at 23dbproductions.com. 
Like and follow 23DB Productions at Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for the latest work.